0: Five days with Doug. I'm Doug Perkins. Thanks for checking this one out. Today's a great episode with Peter Margasak, who is a friend to the Chicago music scene, certainly the scene of people like me who play uh, contemporary music or the improvisers in town or anybody who's playing music off the beaten path. We have a really fun chat where we, you know, get into his background a little bit. Um, he tells me what he's done in the last five days. A lot of that involves taking care of his cat. And, uh, also talking about what it takes to be a presenter in town, presenting music at Constellation and all of the things that happen when you're trying to get people to come to concerts or who you invite to concerts or what you do to be a good host to people who fly halfway across the world to come play your concert series. So anyhow, we have a good, a good chat. Plus um, he and I are both Pennsylvanians. So we, we talk a little Pennsylvania and uh, the Junk Food Cuisine affiliate at some point. Yeah. So enjoy it. Have fun. I know I enjoyed it. I know I am learning a lot. I think this episode freaked me out a little bit as I sat down and realized that I was about to host a podcast with an actual member of the media who interviews people professionally. It has taught me that I have a lot to learn about hosting these conversations with people. And um, yeah, this was a fun one. Definitely moves from An interview style to just a fun chat as we go so anyhow here is my talk with peter and uh if you're enjoying this you know go subscribe at itunes go leave a comment rate it or um drop me a note you can find me at dougperkins.com send me an email at doug at dougperkins.com or at dougperkins on twitter or any of the social medias you can find me lurking so yeah drop a line say hi and enjoy this podcast with peter all right check 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 well thanks for being here peter hey my pleasure doug (laughs) um thanks for coming to my house yeah it's been too long since i've been to well met i know i don't know if you remember this but the the first time you introduced me at constellation you refused to call me a a chicago musician (laughs) because you were from here (laughs) yeah you were like i'd met you because i guess i'd met you for the first time uh at Music Now. I think so, yeah. You were lurking on a wall and plucked me aside. Um, and then uh, at the start of Constellation, I think there was that open house concert. Mm-hmm. And then you, you were like, Welcome to the open house. And next week starts the frequency series um, with a, sh- well, with almost a Chicago musician, <laughs> Doug Perkins.
1: I've, I've loosened up <laughs> with time. You know, there's less purity now. You know, you're, if you're from the metropolitan area, that's good enough.
0: Well, thanks. Mm -hmm. That was a, that was a wake up call for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, it
1: was me learning also that, you know, the new music people are so cushy that you, you know, you can be from Wilma and say it's Chicago, you know, it's like, the big bad city is hard, you know, it's like,
0: it's tough. Yeah, It's tough and I'm soft, so it's okay. I don't know
1: if my sarcasm is going to come
0: through on this or not. We'll hope. I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping. You can put things in italics to
1: emphasize. Right. You could also
0: declare the air quotes at some point if you have to. I guess I know you as a, can I, you know, you write about music and you mm-hmm. think about it a lot and you sure listen to it a lot mm-hmm. and think of yourself as a champion and an advocate. I think yeah. that's accurate on the good days, I can go
1: with that in the good days. <laughs> there were bad days. I feel like a sucker and a patsy, but you know, <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not feeling, I'm feeling okay today. So it's good. No, um, not too much self-loathing today.
0: And is, is, is that a description for you? Accurate? And how do, you dis- how, do you de- how, how do you describe yourself?
1: Um I mean I I think I still say writer because that's how I make a living although that's <laughs> getting hazier all the time. Um, but that's still that's what I've done that's how you know I was I was a music fan before anything uh, as a kid I just was obsessed with listening to music, buying records and and always had a lot of curiosity just want to hear something different. So that's how I've kind of move through one thing after another. I mean, hopefully I'm not, I I feel like I don't really abandon things, but there's always some new passion. So, but writing, you know, I've written for the reader since 1993, off and on. I mean, I I was hired by the reader. I I did a job in the office doing the listings, but by 95, I was full-time writer. Still there, um, somehow. And, uh, you know, I've written a bunch of other places, but when this, I think maybe a few years before the series started at Constellation, which was in May of 2013, um, you know, I think there was always a desire to be more involved, to do, be more of, less of a critic or a, um, someone with a kind of... Um, you know, I, I wasn't able to be as enthusiastic or gung ho or to do as much actively for artists as maybe I wanted to. I did, before I worked at the Reader, had a zine and I put out some records. I always was like, thought that would be great to run a record label. And then, of course, I wised <laughs> up before I got into trouble with that. I mean, I just put out like five, seven inch singles. Um, and when you were doing your zine, how old were you? It started when I was. Uh, I guess a sophomore in college, so nineteen maybe. Okay. And I did it. I did it for a while. I think I only published nine issues. And in the beginning, I was like, "This is going to be quarterly," which it was for two issues. Well, <laughs> and then it got to the point where some took over a year. But they were also there was one issue that was 144 pages that I wrote almost. You know, I've just there'd be hundreds, literally, a couple
0: hundred record reviews in an issue, and because you would just like get something and stay up and write about it. I would
1: then. just like, yeah. I don't. I mean, when I look at it, I don't know how I did it. Like, I, I mean, I was much more like this feverish kind of one draft, very indulgent, like, you know, I wasn't like on drugs or anything, but I was like writing like a maniac, you know, just like plow through stuff. I mean, I, a lot of it I find kind of unreadable today. Sure. You know? But um, that's really, yeah, that's how I got my start. I what guess. were you
0: when you were in school? What were you hoping to do with your life?
1: I didn't know. I started out, um, with a degree in communications. I mean, I think okay, so being... it's not like, too far away. Yeah, I mean, I think being a writer seemed, like, great. But this was at a time... I started college in 84, and that was... And where'd you grow up? Um, outside Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, right, of a course. A town called Hatboro. We have that East Coast... East right. East PA, West PA thing going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think... Um, yeah, it seemed like a great... Writing for a newspaper was definitely in the back of my mind. But once I was in school... The communication. I remember I had a I had a class called a communications class called the performance of literature, which was like by doing dramatic readings of poetry and short stories. We were supposed to have a better understanding of the text somehow, which that turned me off so much on communications that I switched to yeah, English. That had to be rough. It was awful, and I I was really bad. I mean, because it was <laughs> it was like people doing these like cliched reading like dramatic readings of a Edward. Edward Arlington Robinson, is that his name? The Spoon River Anthology? I can never remember. You know, like doing these things where you would just like emote in the most saccharine, r- ridiculous, like high school drama way. And that was what you, how you that would was get like a good That was yeah. a good one. And it, it, it was like, just seems completely idiotic. So I, I switched to English literature, got my degree. And, you know, the, the idea of writing was always, I think I wrote about music. I did like fake Zine in high school that
0: no one saw. I just made and like, your obsession was it always recorded music or were you going to shows all the time?
1: Oh, I was going to show. I mean, I lived in the burbs, so that kind of limited what I could do. Um, and I didn't have a car, so that really limited what I could do in the burbs. So you know, I'm like, I, I it was definitely three concerts a week, mostly punk rock kind of stuff. That's what I was really into. And and jazz, like jazz, seemed more. I mean, I got into this stuff in some ways because it was a way to be like weird. And alienate people. So, f- jazz was actually more alienating to a lot of people than punk rock was. So, um, I, that's what I was doing. And, and um, I think e- once I switched to English, it was by the next year I started writing for. Oh, I, I'm, I'm for, the other part of school was I went to DePaul and they had this really pathetic radio station, Carrier Current, which means it is broadcast through the f- phone lines through it, it's broadcast on campus through like to the dormitories and stuff through it's it through, goes through, through AM, AM radio it's AM frequency and it's gone through the phone line so you, you couldn't be like outside the station in a car and pick it up you had to be in one of the dorms where the phone lines connected to the radio station and it was also piped in in the cafeteria and there was which the frats there were no real frat houses at DePaul. There were just like a row of tables in the cafeteria, and they had like doll houses with oh yeah, yeah. like those the Greek like, letters. Those sad, yeah, it was really pathetic. Christmas. Like it's like you're a, a frat boy, but you don't even you to your frat is a dollhouse. Yeah,
0: I remember seeing like you. They had some of those out in rural PA, where it's like you got like three extra rooms on the floor of a dorm. Yeah,
1: and that was like <laughs> I, the frat. I dorm. don't even know if they had that, but the, anyway, they were in the cafeteria. But they would always disconnect the speakers in the cafeteria. It was like this constant battle. And I was like into like I I like sort of took over and became music director within a few because no one else cared so which was great because that's how I started getting all these shows for free and and um, you know taping every record that would come in it was like it was so great so and then yeah eventually I through that there was a zine called Nonstop Banter that was published locally and. I had I reached out to them like hey can I write for this and they're like yeah yeah and then after a year of like having to pitch them stuff and be like I don't think so I'm like well I'm just gonna start my own so I had the radio stations copier card and
0: okay and so I was wondering it. I was wondering how you were
1: that's how I got started Um, you know completely dishonest means but then eventually it was paying for selling ads and which
0: would cover the cost of printing and so when you how many people would see your zine
1: um at the maximum i think i printed a thousand i mean they were printed they were you know this was back in the day of tower records when they had their own um you they would distribute the magazines through the whole chain so um oh wow so you had distribution for yeah yeah i mean it was mostly through independent record distributors and then tower so i think a thousand or maybe 1500 i I can't really remember at the max yeah i mean it it did well. And that's how I got hired by the reader. They, they knew it. And that was very snotty and arrogant and they wanted to have a column that was kind of a show preview column that would had a lot of attitude. So that's how I started at the reader. And, um, I mean, I'd done some freelancing by that point for like the Tribune and New City and, you know, nothing super substantial, but I knew some people at the reader and then that kind of opened the door and And then you had tons of best passes for shows. Yeah, then it was then it really then then I then it wasn't just punk rock stuff. Then I go to everything. So and it's that's that's the one part of the job that that's still appealing. Although I don't go out as much as I used to. Well, these days, like, what is your what is your beat these days? Uh, The reader. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I cover just weird stuff. I mean, half of what I write about is definitely. I write a lot about jazz. I do write about. New music stuff, which is weird. It's more difficult because most of what I really like, I'm presenting now, and I obviously can't write about that. Um, I'll, I write about rock stuff. I write about country stuff. I mean, it's kind of a little bit of everything. There's are, really, are you
0: are you, is, are you still the guy who writes about any music with attitude, or you're still over there writing about things? I'm assuming with that Margusack attitude. Oh, I but no. Is, I mean, I'm there, much more. But is it it's pretty much like you blunt. get to write about what you? Yeah, I can write about whatever I want.
1: Yeah, I mean, I it's it's super open. People sometimes when I like, you know, when I did that column, it wasn't it wasn't like really a, just recommendations. It was it was just like it was called spot check. So the idea was I would just kind of like do a cross section of what's going on, and a lot of it was incredibly negative and nasty and. Um so occasionally you know now the the emphasis is like we have limited space so let's just focus on things we think are worth seeing but sometimes there won't be that many things and I'll have to, I'll pitch it as something that's like okay I'll write about this and then it's like this is awful and I'll express that and then occasionally someone's like ah it was just like the old the old days you know i miss that <laughs> so you know i mean that the people were I, you know I think I developed a real, or there was a, a lot of people that couldn't thought I was a complete asshole and a jerk, and I probably was, but I was just being honest. I mean, there's a song there. The, this came much later, or I only discovered it years after it had been made. There was a terrible industrial rock band called. Um, I think they were called Act No. Acumenation. I don't know okay. what the, what yeah. that means but they had a song called Marga Suck which was very flattering to discover that I was the subject of a song you know and um, I don't remember the lyrics it was the song was terrible but um,
0: That's great. Yeah. are they from here?
1: Yeah yeah I mean Chicago had a, you know this is the it's home a, of wax tracks records so that kind right. of which I hated all that sh- stuff from the very beginning and and so this was like a third tier like just the most pathetic kind of unimaginative industrial rock band a lot of screaming and big beats and i just never cared for that stuff so i mean i, I was would be harsh on it and they responded with a song was, oh that's it was, great it's very flattering
0: thing. um but do you feel like your job at when it's going at its best do you have an axe that you're trying to grind or do you have artists that you're trying to help what is your well, i don't know for the people who have great senses of wonder about people like you hmm. you know when when you're when you're thinking about you know, as, as, as I was saying it earlier, thinking about you as an advocate or something, is it case by case or do you have a global? A global?
1: Um, I think these days it's more case by case. Um, you know, I just look at what's, most of what I write is previews, so I just see what's happening that week and I pick things that I'm most interested in writing about and, you know, by, by happenstance, a lot of them happen to be lesser known or, or kind of artists that don't come through that often that most people won't know about, so, and I, you know, I, of course I want to have an impact and like, turn people on to things, that's that's a huge inspiration for me. Um, when I had a column, which was probably for the first eight years at The Reader, like starting in 95, I wrote every week, and I, I definitely had, I think one of the things that I'm proud of was like really focusing on the local jazz and improvised music scene, I would write about it a lot, and, um, I mean, I would never take credit for it, but I feel like I did, I played a part in making it seem less or just part of everyday life in a way that, cause there was all this stuff going on, but it was never covered anywhere. And, you know, it was like people like Ken Vandermark had not been here very long and were doing things. And I, th- I felt like by writing about it pretty regularly, it kind of, um, helped to legitimize it and make people think like, oh yeah, that's going on. That's, that's, that's something to do. Whereas before that, maybe they weren't, it would never cross their minds. So that was, that was nice. And, you know, I think that kind of feeling or sense, you know, feeling like I did something that kind of, I liked it, you know? And so I think that's what led to this belated desire to, to be programming stuff. I, I started, I guess unofficial I actually I did do um bunch of punk rock shows in the early nine like ninety, ninety one at a bar that's it's a it's the defunct bar, but the building is still there. It's been shuttered for twenty some years. It's called the Czar Bar on division in um Wicker Park or Ukrainian village. And um, you know, it's like bands like early the first times first time like bands like Superchunk or um, Sabbath, well, I never did Sebado. I was supposed to, but that, that was before I think yeah, the bar ended and they had to move somewhere else. But it, it was like indie rock bands that hadn't been through Chicago, and I did a bunch of them, like the Ass Ponies. I don't know if you even know uh-huh. they remember the Ass Ponies, but I mean I did it for about a year and a half, and it was super fun. It, it was like super nerve-wracking because like, when Super Chunk came through, it was three bands – the first time they played, and the guarantee for all three bands was $150, and I lost $15 on that one. So, <laughs> you know, they got a little more successful after that. But, you know, so I did that, and then I had really had fun, but it seemed a little tricky to do that while writing about music. Uh, things have become so slippery ethically now with, um, like, 15 years ago, what I'm doing by programming music I don't think I would have felt comfortable doing that and also writing about it at the same time.
0: Right. Yeah. When you, so how did your um, decision to now become one of Chicago's uh, great <laughs> contemporary music um, curators? How did was that just beers with Mike Reed one day? Um, yeah. You? I mean, I I think he knew
1: he read stuff I had written about, and I talked to him about like how you know Mike was really good at kind of um, galvanizing or, or noticing the community, the improvised music community and developing this kind of network through several venues. And I think he, he sort of heard me talking and saw like an opportunity to do the same with the new music community. I mean, I had talked to him about doing stuff and being involved in Constellation. I was excited about him doing it and was you know he was asking me for advice about stuff and then um yeah it was it was really his idea of the series i mean I, I get i'm the guy that does it but he kind of had the like the most basic kernel of it um you know he he you know brought me on to actually cuz i knew who the artists were but you know it kind of started with him and um yeah it, it we so it was like probably a couple years of him knowing that i was interested in this stuff and talking about shows, but, you know, once Constellation was lined up, and we started talking about it, I think he knew a year before that he was in the process of trying to get the building, and working towards it, so it was just sort of a background conversation, and then, yeah, then I think it happened a few months before it opened, he's like, hey, let's, you know, do you want to do this, and that was why you were such a a savior, because I, I hadn't realized that these soft new music people needed months and months of preparation to do a concert and you were willing to do it. Like, yeah, I'll do it in a month. Sure.
0: Well, I was new to town you know, I had, <laughs> yeah. I had old tricks in my bags. Um, but was that a decision you could take lightly? Cause as you say, it seemed like the decision to do that was to shoot yourself in the foot with some of your writing. Yeah. But I, I mean, to a degree, but, and I was, you know, I
1: had to like float it by some people at the paper um and i knew like i couldn't write about any of the stuff i did which was which was fine um but yeah they were okay with it and i mean my editor philip montoro is always like you know this is am i in his mind he says that it, it helps it makes me you know i'm more involved with things i'm a better gauge and it 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 makes because of the series the success it's had it looks you know reflects well on me and it reflects well on the paper you know that i'm part of the paper I guess so
0: but and then to go into the the, the minutiae of it all, then in thinking about your life and I know from from talking to you at the bar at constellation sometimes, how does being a concert do you call yourself a curator a producer what how do you call your what do you call mm, yourself I mean concert maker. organizer you know presenter um how how does that get in the way in the day to day with your writing duties or how do they marry they don't i mean there's 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 not as much
1: overlap it's it's you know sometimes it's weird where sometimes i'll have an artist that's kind of outside of the the scope of the series like hey can you you know like a improviser might want to like a show and i'm like hey that's not my i'll steer you to my greed you know, that kind of happens once in a while, but it's, it's not that big a deal. I mean, the biggest thing is just the amount of time it takes. And, you know, I used to pride myself on being really diligent with responding to emails and I, I, I no longer pride myself on that. Cause I, I don't, <laughs> it's like just too much, you know, it's hard to keep up with everything. And, um, I mean, it's a good problem that people are, you know, in the beginning when I was like such a struggle to find anyone to play, now it's it's just like i'm drowning in
0: people who want to play yeah so, you have to be just inundated with
1: yeah i mean it's not as i mean i shouldn't it's not like i have like 800 requests for every 8 dates it's nothing like that but um yeah it, there's more than i can accommodate so that's a better position to be in it's although it's kind of you know i don't like to say like sorry not going to work but um well
0: i'm sure you get paid by the email so <laughs> <laughs> a penny
1: A penny for each email.:
0: That's, you just you just submit for more. Yeah, it's no problem. and uh so then for any of those, well, I guess the thing that I was thinking about is that so this week you have what like three shows,' because you have your Sunday shows and then you just did a show last night.:
1: it one on Sunday, yeah, then last night, then there's another one on Sunday, and then there's another one next Thursday. And then another one's the following. No, no, actually, the following Sunday I'm off. I was preempted. Occasionally, I'm preempted if there's a touring band that is like doesn't have a lot of uh, flexibility and the dates happen to be open. So this uh, and th- this this is fine. Like they, this is a bizarre thing, but like so on the the end of this month, the Australian band called the Necks are playing. Who I think are really really great. And they're playing on a Sunday, so I'm actually writing about it. It's just it might look confusing to some people, like, I how can you write about your own show? But right, right, right. they're not all my own they're most like ninety five percent of Sundays are frequency shows, but that one's not. So so I guess yeah, next the following Sunday I'll have that one off. Or I'll just be there in the audience rather than having to do anything.
0: Well, I just could I'm just thinking about that it, it eats into your um time as a man on the scene yep. observing and seeing For sure. concerts.
1: Yeah, I don't get to. I mean, I miss stuff sometimes that I'm kind of bummed that I can't catch, but um, that's nothing new, really. I mean, there's always something in life. The older you get, the more responsibilities and um, and then just lack of energy. I, I mean, I the best laid plans. So I'm going to do this, do this, do this, and then. I mean, you, I could. I I didn't when you were talking about the five days and. I didn't list any concerts that I had hoped to see because th- that's just I'm I'm too um, wise to how that works in the end. That I you know if I make it then that's great, but I. That's I don't, good. You're very peaceful about it. I yeah I found I found a zen like acceptance of my limitations
0: that way, in a lot of other ways too. Did you make a list of things you've done in the last five days? I
1: sort of did. Yeah. I mean, well, the things that I had hoped to do. That's what you asked me to. What do, did I you think, hope to do? Well. I mean, some of them are really um, quotidian. One was like, I mean, and I didn't think I would not do it, but I had an appointment to, um, I mean, there's various appointments. I didn't list them all, but one was that I had to do that was not typical was like my cat had to go to the vet. We have two cats. One of them has developed, it's an allergic reaction to something. You know, it's not like cats, you can take them and give like, put like 20 substances on their paw and see which ones they respond to. Like, you know, have you ever had an allergy test? test. Yeah. So, um, they have like this medication called Atopica that, that apparently like shuts down a lot of, I don't know how it works, but it covers all these different allergies, but she would get these, um, started to get these little kind of scabby bloody things on the top of her head. It was really, you know, just a drag. We're like, what is this? And, this medicine takes care of it, but she had been on it for about a year and she had to be seen to get another, to have their prescription re-upped. So, sorry, that's not a very inspiring thing of what I had to no, do. No, no, that's Let fine. That's
0: a, that's, uh, that is a, um, I get it. And
1: I was able to follow through on that. That was okay. Um, let's see. I mean, <laughs> I wrote these, because one this thing that I was trying to do was this concert last night. Like I wanted, oh, so the concert was Spunk. And it's funny. I, I've confirmed. I kept calling them for a long time "spunk," which is the way I thought it was pronounced. It's right, spelled really, like "spunk." It sounds more continental. And it is Norwegians do pronounce it "spunk." I found out last night. Someone had corrected me. Like, no, no, it's "spunk." But and and before anyone gets squeamish, I mean, it's it's um, of course that you're spunk, you're spunky. That's one meaning. But the, the real meaning of this it's from a, it's a reference to Pippi Longstocking. It was a word that she created for something that didn't have a meaning or something, I, I can't remember. It, it's definitely a Pippi Longstocking reference and that's what these this group used, why they chose the name. But it was the first time they ever played in the US. It was kind of a drag, because at the last minute, the I found out the cellist in the group was really had the, a really bad flu and she couldn't come. So in a way, it wasn't really their US debut, because it was only three fourths of them. But it was a great concert. But I, it was really important to me. I'm, I've been a fan of them for a long time. The one of the main people in the group, Myrachki, is an amazing composer and improviser. I've seen her many times and did a concert with her on the series about a year and a half ago. That was just fantastic. And she, you know, proposed to me, come bringing the group. They they played in, they're playing in New York tonight, and that's oh, okay. just New York and Chicago. They're playing at Roulette tonight. So she proposed like coming to Chicago. and I'm like, yeah, let's let's do it. But and she was like, um, I just just keep as much money as you can give us, which, of course, I want everyone to have a ton of money. But Constellation isn't doesn't have like a big well of cash sitting there. So it's kind of door gigs. So I was like. I wanted to sell a bunch of tickets and they weren't really selling very well. And I it's so it's
0: this is all I way to say it's like, like I was trying I, to again, sell I feel tickets. bad that I didn't come. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you would have... Well, my life, you by the because my yeah. wife had to deliver a baby yeah. and I got s- yeah. stuck home. Yeah, but I still no feel excuse. bad.
1: Um, But I... Yeah. So I just wanted people... And, you know, we, we got people out, but not as many still as I hope. It. So that's sometimes... I, I do, you know, as much as I can to promote concerts that I do. Some I do more just because I feel more responsible for... They're not local. It's not... It's a pretty special thing. So... That was one thing that was definitely on my mind all week and I was like trying to push it out there on the, the old social media kind of thing and I mean I actually sent one email to um, this couple I know that had gone to see Maya a couple of years ago and I had invited them on Facebook but they hadn't responded I'm like, Well, I think maybe I need to send them an email just to remind them which made me feel a little desperate, but they came and I think they were That's happy great. they came. So um normally I don't personally email people I mean if I feel like hey you should really come see this but so that was one thing Um, another thing that is still not quite determined is um, we talked about this big years festival you know that's coming up because I'm trying to figure out one of the perks of doing this job because I also write um, for Downbeat magazine Uh America's oldest jazz publication and um, in Europe you know, these, these big jazz festivals, they operate differently than festivals in the U.S. They'll fly a journalist over. They'll put you up in a hotel. I mean, most good American newspapers would not accept that kind of action because it's quid pro quo. It's not right, ethical. Right. Downbeat it. You know, most jazz magazines are have no issue with such a thing because there's no way they could ever afford to send right, right. So, you know, I'm kind of, I've gone to a bunch of festivals in Europe on that model, but... Big Ears is, you know, I'm, I, for some reason I thought this is a really special festival. They'll definitely do something like this, but they're like, they don't, they'll offer like a discounted hotel rate. That's, that's the big, I mean, I can get into the shows for free uh-huh. cause I'm reviewing it. So I'm, I'm going to write about it for Downbeat, but I was like, what Downbeat pays, I'm going to be losing money to go to, it's in Knoxville, Tennessee. Right. It's not, it's far away and it's on a infrequently traveled air out it's not like there's a lot of flights there so they're expensive so i've been trying to like figure out how can i get some more work to um make it sustainable so i've been really trying one of the big artists this year is anthony braxton trying to line up a um someone to run an anthony braxton interview which was complicated by the fact that anthony braxton isn't really doing interviews so it's it's you know i've got a possibility for one for an interview, one publication that will do it. And I'm pretty friendly with uh, a trumpet player that works closely with Braxton. And I'm hoping that he, he, between the publicist and... uh, Because you
0: just need him to agree to it? Yeah,
1: but I need him to be convinced that it's worth his while. Anthony Braxton's while. So So that is still in process. That's something I've been working on all week. I'm getting close. I've gotten, I just lined up another little piece that I can write when I'm there. Actually, I could do it, um, in Chicago. Cause it's the next they're, they're playing at big ears, but they're also playing, like I said, at Constellation. Uh-huh. So, um, I don't know those are the things it's, it's not very exciting. Oh. And then I think catching up on my re- reader work. I mean, that's like kind of this treadmill that I'm on. <laughs> right. It seems like it's the big treadmill. It's the big treadmill, but sometimes like when I have, um, other things like taking Olive to the vet, or having a, a Norwegian group that I have to pick up at the airport and take them to the hotel and pick them up at their hotel and take them to the venue and then take them back to the hotel. At the end of the night, I mean, it kind of eats into my time to listen and, and write. So this week I'm super behind and I'm a little stressed about it, but
0: it always gets done. How do you do with self-motivation? I mean, I guess probably fine because you made a career this way.
1: Yeah, I mean... A lot of it is like just deadline pressure, you know? It's like you don't... I mean, I'm not the best at deadlines. Like I'm always pretty much late always, but never more than a day or two. So I've just learned how to do it. And I mean, the funny thing is with writing sometimes when I'm really past deadline and the guns to my head, it's like, oh, it's I can find... Like I'm a procrastinator and I cannot do things like... This is doing a month, so I'm gonna get it done today. Like, that will never happen. <laughs> it's right. just not, I'm not, I can't focus. I need, like, the pressure to get things done. Partly because there's so many things I have to be doing all the time that if I had a month to do it, like, why would I do it now? Because I have all these other things that are ahead of it. So, does that make sense? Does totally. It?
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm dying this week because I have all this. Well, I'm going away with my family on Saturday because my son has spring break. And so I I need to be the father who's yeah. not sitting at his computer all day. So I'm trying to get things done. But I'm at a place now where I played a lot of concerts. And like concert deadlines are so great because they're, they happen, you know, at 8 p.m. on Sunday. Yeah, there's no flex. You, go, time. you do it. Like, and then yeah. it happens and then it's done and you put your music away when it's over. Um, but now I'm dealing with all of the stuff like... I have a lot of summary deadlines that like, I know I need to get ahead of things, but that's kind of the worst is to wake up all day and work on something that has to happen in three months. But as the leader of it, I have to push out. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. to create all of these ruthless deadlines. I'm okay at it, but I may or may not have, if it doesn't, if I think about it too long, I, um, I will get Paralyzed. But if I like today I worked and watched Broad City for a while mm-hmm. while I worked, if I put on a very trashy television show, I can I can So this is administrative kind administrative. of administrative not something yeah. where you're having to listen to something. No 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 this is just okay. administrative. Yeah. It's been an administrative future deadline week. Yeah. Sometimes trashy T V gets involved, but I'm still woefully behind. I'm, that well so. that
1: I don't know how you can watching T V and doing administrative stuff that i mean if it's filing a paper that's one thing but if i was writing and having a tv on i don't think i would just get pulled well your words
0: probably really matter
1: yeah but even if it's like an email and i'm like my wife is like she will labor over email she's very um meticulous about her emails where i'm like you know and but i, I I think I would just, I get easily to TV is it's vision and sound at the same
0: time. And then that doesn't work great. Mostly it's like podcasts or something, but but I need, I need the like, if I can shut off my enough of my, you know, enough of myself, then I can like make a decision without wanting to truly obsess about it or let the rage black out of like, what did that person just ask me? I can't believe they just be like, yeah, well oh, that was reasonable.
1: I think I need it's better for me not to, it's it's in some ways it's better to get emails and not respond immediately cuz yeah, I get like I sometimes push push my buttons and it's better to like let it simmer down a little bit. But multi I used to watch I'm a big Bulls fan although it's been hard to be a Bulls fan this season. But I for years I would watch Bulls games with the sound off and play records cuz I like I had too much to listen to. And right. then at some point I was like, that's, I want to hear it. I don't want to do that. I mean, I just want to, I really love silence. It's just a rare thing for me. I have music on all the time. Um, it's, I remember before I met my wife, my brother was like, it would be the worst to live with you. Cause you just have music on. It's so, it's an assault nonstop. And of course, I never, I'm like, what are you talking about? It's great. It's like it's on all the time. Why wouldn't you want to listen to music from like 7 a.m. till midnight, you know? And, and like, I don't think, oh, it's 7 a.m. Why not put Albert Eiler on? You can listen. Why do I have to put something mellow on at 7 a.m.? It's good music, you know? But um, I've become much more sensitive to, I, I do a lot of headphone listening now to respect. You know, my wife doesn't want to be assaulted in that way. She was, she was good, but for a long time. But like any normal person, it became way too much. And now so, your
0: your CD collection is it a whole room.
1: It's well, it's in the in a filed in a way that it. I mean, it's a very efficient system. Although I'm trying, I'm in actively dismantling it because I've. You know, this was another wise thing my brother said years ago, which has never left my head. And that was, he said, if you, you know, you sat down and started to listen to your CDs just once, you would be dead before you could get through them all, which is no, certainly accurate. So that's kind of like, that's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, I don't need all these CDs, you know, and it's it's something, I mean, I'm not like a collector in the sense like I, I never... I, I didn't collect super rare things just because they were rare. Um, but I did, I have like a. My appetite never ran. Like, I need to hear that. And I like to have the object. So, like, someone like Peter Brotzman, German free jazz, you know, super aggressive. I love his music. But I, you know, probably have like 60 or 70 Peter Brotzman CDs. And it's really not necessary to have, because I never actually part of this job the treadmill effect means i never get to really go back and listen to old stuff i just have well, to Well i was like,
0: wondering do you have a what is, what is your level of guilt like right now somewhere there's a stack of of recordings piling up for you to
1: of new stuff or, or
0: Yeah i'm sure like right now you are being sent digitally and yeah. mail No i mean it's
1: it's i feel bad and i feel bad especially when i meant like oh i didn't listen to this i forgot and you know there's just way too much to listen to, and uh, yeah, I mean, the and digital stuff has really become. It's really difficult for me because, at least with a CD or a record, it's a physical reminder that it's there. With digital, it's like it just falls into another folder, and it's like, what? Oh, I downloaded that when? <laughs> I never like I never unzipped it. You know, it's just like a zipped file that's still sitting there and. And, it, and it's not like I'm, you know, I am listening to music all the time. It's not like I'm like, oh, I'm just shutting it down. It's just, there's just too much. And that's, that's the, my curiosity, which leads me to like be obsessed with Brazilian music or contemporary music or, you know, weird, I don't know, whatever. And I, I just, it keeps broadening the field and more to like keep up on. And it's kind of, sometimes I just want to like, that's where like silence, it seems like the greatest thing in the world just like to get away from it, you know, which it's not cause it's painful to listen. It's just like, I feel there's a responsibility, like subconscious responsibility that can be um, troubling yeah. <laughs> or, um, or, or oppressive. I should say more than troubling.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know I don't just getting my friend's CDs and recordings and, you know, you, yeah you want to be supportive and want to listen. Or then for me, I run into the problem as a performer. I'm just so aware, especially in I guess people that play the music I play, we have to practice the music, we play a lot, so it takes time, so we're not like quick digesters. So with the thought, always the awareness that I'm in a I'm in a rut and then I need to get out of this rut that I'm going down of my knowledge and my sphere. But then when you start to listen and you realize all that you have to listen to, I mean, it's paralyzing. Yeah. That's a, that's a word that for me, it's paralyzing. Yeah. No. So, I mean, it,
1: I use that word comes up more with, with when there's too much work to do. And it's like, I have so many things to do and I can't focus. And you know, when you have so much to do and you don't know where to begin, you only instead of doing one thing at a time you just look at everything and then that's paralyzing cuz like uh, i don't know where to begin you know you have to like one step at a time you have to be very i don't know you just you just have to go one step at a time but you forget to do that sometimes so yeah i feel that way often <laughs> it's a regular occurrence
0: and when you're when you're checking out music are you mostly Talking about, when I asked about if you're going out or if you're, and you said you have life duties, do you, are you fulfilling your musical curiosities more through recorded music or are you finding yourself looking for?
1: I think, yeah, I would say it's probably more through recorded music these days just because it's more, I have more control over it. It doesn't have to be whenever I want it to be in theory, whereas a performance is, it's at a date and time at a certain place. It's not like I can... I'll be there in a few hours, just wait, you know, it doesn't work that way, so, I mean, I do go hear things that, um, that I've never heard, for sure, Um, that's the thing with new music that's kind of different than so much other music, is that it's always, there's a weird lag time between, the recordings always seem to come out when the, Right. performances are over it's like you won't get to hear this again <laughs> live you had to hear it live before it was ever recorded which seems backwards some in some ways but I mean not not really I understand I,
0: I get it too it's, it it is backwards and
1: I mean well I think it's it's I backwards it. in the sense of the music industry like you promote a product by playing it live whereas it doesn't really exist that way in new music it's like you you the product is there to kind of memorialize or you know capture something that was already had its performance cycle. And I'm talking about new music, because yeah, you know, yeah. which I know that's not really the what the, the ideal is, it's just the way it ends up, you know, and then the emphasis on premieres, 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 you know. So, because There is
0: there is money in that game. Yeah. But then it is funny from at least on my side of it as a as a purveyor of that stuff, the you you want to get a new piece, you need to convince somebody to put it on stage. And unless your famous friends are writing it for you, there's the moment of you need to get out and play it while no one cares about it. (laughs) Then you might record it. And then maybe two years later, people are interested again because it has taken that long for somebody to hear it, to have the thought about it, and then to slowly program it. Yeah. Which is also being in that world, like beyond frustrating.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You no, know, it's, it's,
0: I mean, that, I think I became
1: more aware of this when I was in the writing capacity. Like I would look at a program, like, where is, what's is this piece? How can I write about something I've never heard or that's never been, I have no, you know, and um, it, it has changed a bit now with, because of SoundCloud or, or YouTube. Like there are, like, I think it was parallels, you know, like there were YouTube performances of that before there was a, a studio recording, I think. Right.
0: Yeah, there was some stuff on YouTube, but that's also thanks. Like, so we're talking about a Tristan Parage piece that yeah. he wrote for me, but luckily he's just a crazy document. He believes in documentation. So, the and the funny thing is, he he hates to write things on time. So we kept we knew we had to book concerts for him to write notes. <laughs> so we'd book shows. He'd have to document the show, and then he would rewrite the piece again and we play another show so by the time we played it at constellation there were some versions of it out in the world yeah but it took until constellation for the ink to start to dry Hmm. and then we went and recorded it probably two months after that to where we had this funny moment in the studio where he's like i just revised just a couple of couple of notes what he actually did is revised a couple of parameters to the algorithm that generated the notes that changed all of the notes. (laughs) (laughs) So we spent an exhausting and painful two days in Chicago, having to basically relearn the piece with microphones on to get the piece out. And then it was a funny thing. Then we, we, then the recording came out and we did a couple of things around it, but now it feels like now what three, two and a half years later,
1: it's time to maybe play it now, or people yeah, are like interested. Yeah, like now
0: there's like some desire to hear it. Yeah. So we, we can book it as though yeah. it's new. Because also, then, how much of the world has heard the piece? Virtually none well, of Well, that's, the yeah. Heard the piece. I mean, that's, I mean, I, it,
1: it's weird. You, th- I think about all these kind of, for lack of a, I don't want to say, I'm saying ghetto wise, but that's not really a fair word, or, or marginalized, or whatever. All this kind of music, you know, you think like, punk rock is you know indie rock or underground rock was obscure at one point and then it's like free jazz no no that's really obscure but until i really got involved with new music i'm like no new music is the most like even though there's there's like institutional money and support for some of it like the stuff that rises to the top right the the bulk of what i mean i i have felt such empathy and, and pity for <laughs> new music groups because there's at least in Chicago, they're screwed because they're completely ignored. And I did my part. I mean, then I, that, sometimes that's why I, I feel bad. Like if I knew I could do more if I wasn't doing this series to like write about a lot of interesting groups, but, and I do when I can, but I can't do it as regularly as, as I you know, might be able to because of the series. But I feel like, well, I'm, I'm doing something else with the series, so it's, I don't need to feel bad about it. But I do feel bad for them a lot of times, and I feel bad for my, my series that, like, why can't I get any attention, you know? It's like, I mean...
0: Well, in the new music world, it's still, you know, in 15 years, you'll receive some award for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it'll be very important. Okay. All this work that's been done.
1: I, I'm a, hold my breath for that accolade. Yeah. So it's you know it's it's maddening sometimes, and um, especially in the third largest city with a really. Um, I mean, you're more well traveled in this world than I am, but Chicago really seems to me like outside of maybe New, well uh, outside of New York, like a real. It's as. Um, active as any city in the U S in terms of a new music community, like a number of groups and number of composers that are pretty high level. Um, I mean, would you agree with that or do you not want to?
0: No, 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 I'm I'm fine. (laughs) I think I always feel bad that I'm not um, active enough in the Chicago scene that I live here and I'm always getting on airplanes and going other places, which I feel happy about. I get to talk about Chicago everywhere I go, but similarly I'm, and there's a, and, and I'm not alone. I feel like there's a lot of us who are based out of Chicago and then traveling. Yeah,
1: but that's the only way you're going to make a living.
0: <laughs> well, it's not. I mean, yeah, you know. it's. It, it, there is a certain level of reality to that. Um, but also, um, I think what's great about your series and is that it at least is a home base for people. It is a comfortable home base for people.
1: That was the idea, yeah.
0: So that um, people do interface with each other, and you know, you're you're providing the place for the conversation to happen. At some point, we all have to rise up. And
1: yeah, I mean, if anything, we've talked about this. I sometimes get frustrated that people don't take more advantage of the opportunity. Like, especially when I when artists come in from outside of Chicago, that they have an opportunity to meet and talk to and because it's a really open space for people like to just go up to the musicians. And I think they're happy to interact with listeners who might just be fans or might be musicians or composers. It just, sometimes it really confuses me. Like if you're young and starting out, this is like a great opp. I mean, it seems like a good opportunity to meet really high level performers from New York or, you know, totally. I I don't think,
0: I just don't think Chicago doesn't have that. Um, Built in yet. Like the scene like in New networking York. Networking is one. The, the network side of like, like New York just drips with yeah. um, that networking feeling. But it's also that like desperation of the whole thing. Yeah. People are like, I might go broke tomorrow. Can I work with you today? <laughs> yeah. This needs to happen. Or yeah. like, we've shelled out money to produce this concert ourselves and we're going to go broke if we don't help each other make this thing a success. So it's all. The stakes I think are are higher in New York and then it just kind of cultivates, it cultivates that thing, which hasn't quite happened here. Um, at least not yet. You know, I think also you're probably right. There just needs to be more pluckish. Maybe it's the next wave of, you know, the kiddos out there that are going to seize on the opportunity yeah or it's too late so, yeah. for old farts like like me <laughs>
1: well but you're 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 i, I wouldn't lump you into that because you will come out and hear the young you know i mean yeah not as much as you should of course but of course you know and i, I just I, I don't know i mean it, it, i've been really disappointed sometimes bringing in groups to me seem as exciting and as progressive as any group anywhere and they don't attract much of an audience and i know obviously there are a million factors like money i mean young new music people probably don't have much cash on hand and well and i feel busy. like chicago supports chicago well that part is is great but i really feel like it's important for them to like open their open up a little bit you know i don't want to sound critical of no no, no. The, i think
0: that's a next step that they probably don't realize also they don't realize the power in they don't realize the power in that that you know even like like a group, like we, I just like when Yarnwire was in town from New York. Well, see that. that that's if, the one I think of, yeah. uh, you know, the people here don't realize that all. They probably had to do was like blink in a vaguely interested way towards those guys, and they'd be like, "Oh, this is great. Can we work together again?" And I, you know, like, yeah. sure, write write us something. Let's collaborate. That you know to realize that they have that these are just chances for conversations.
1: That's and, uh, that's what I'm exactly what I'm thinking, and I, it's frustrated me sometimes because I see how people can hit it off when when you know when they do come out and it's like yeah i mean it, i feel like they're blowing their own chances sometimes or not it's it's right there in their laps you know it's like you know and i really maybe everyone's too midwestern maybe people are modest and i mean and it's it is yeah i mean whatever it's good everything's is is fine and i've gotten used to the fact that I used to think, like, I'm bringing a group from New York. We'll pack the place. And now I know, like, no, we probably will have a less a smaller audience than usual. <laughs> but that's okay. And part of it is, like, building an audience, too. Like, I really have um, – it, it's kind of like the thing that you, you see in punk rock is, like, you just play a lot. You go on tour and you come to a city more than once and people start to pick up, hear about it. And then like right, come, right. I mean – the person I think of that I think has a really good spirit that way is um, this pianist Andy Lee um, from Denver, who I brought in a couple of years ago. He's not, you know, he's very modest in his expectations. And it was probably crazy to have him come out a couple of months ago to play this piece November, which is five hours long. I, I thought it was going to be like this great special event, which it was. But the thing that makes it the special event is also the thing that makes it so frightening for most people the prospect of a 5 hour concert but i think he's now played here twice and i think he's i mean i'm seeing a lot more attention he just played a bunch of shows in new york and boston and philly so things are developing for him and i feel like having him from the beginning is like it's a, we have a relationship and i think i'm going to have him back again next year or i want hopefully he'll come next year it just takes time with some artists like you know like that yarn wire show a couple of years ago, there weren't many people there, but it, I think any, anyone who was there was kind of blown away yeah, by it. And I just hope that they taught people talk about it.
0: You know, like oh, the yarn. I mean, it's it's funny. Well, and I know to defend, not to defend, actually, none of none of my brethren in this community, not none of us, but a lot of us were not in rock bands. Yeah, like I think there's some level to have done the. You know, too many people in a stinky van tour you understand that you had to get there two days early and like paper and go hang out in the coffee shop a little too long to invite people or we're all too in our own heads worried about like the unplayable lick on page three. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, our flights in an hour, we should have totally done more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't, but I don't even mean like getting, doing your own like flyering for a gig. I just mean like, just being, you know, b- developing an audience by repetition or by presence. Right, right. Well, there presence. is that side, I just mean to jumpstart
0: things. Yeah. We don't think about yeah. that side. Yeah, as yeah, well as yeah,
1: I get that. Um, yeah. I just had this thought in my head, though, about... It's gone. Andy Lee, it's gone. Andy Lee, Lee papering, building just, reputation slowly. Yeah. yeah, it's gone. It's okay. There it went. That's that's the story of my life. The idea is just evaporate.
0: Yeah, well, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. It's, 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 it's carrying on, you know. And it's great. Like talking to well, and speaking about from everybody in New York and from being a guy who has played all of the air quotes, cool venues of, you know, New York and Brooklyn and seeing, you know, where shows happen there sometimes like playing Constellation is so great.
1: Oh, that's good to hear. I mean, it's been super gratifying when, like, especially when groups come from out of town, especially in New York, and they're like, "I wish there was something like this in New York." There's nothing like that. So, I mean, there's
0: nothing like that in so many places.
1: Yeah, and it's you no, know, I think it's really important in there. You know, like the getting that piece in the New York Times was super. That was really awesome and unexpected, and um, you know, it was. It was also really pleasurable after, like the kind of indifference I face in Chicago with the series. And then like, oh, you know, the New York times is thinks it's worth reviewing. And yeah.
0: Well, I can imagine that is a, isn't that, is that weird with your colleagues who write here of like, Hey, the guy that writes wants us to write about his shows. I don't know. I mean, there's so few people for me to go
1: to. That right. I'm I mean, not, there's that, I, mean I don't really know any, um, I mean, it's weird. The people there—there there is no one that write really. There's one daily newspaper classical writer, and the ones that write for other publications seem don't write that often or don't or get very much space. They never write features. So there's really only, by my count, one person really that's like a that has like that can write on a regular like a weekly basis with at any length. In a city this big, it seems like pitiful, but. I mean, I really appreciate the people like Graham Meyer who writes for Chicago Magazine, or I mean, then you've got Doyle Armbrust right. who's a musician and also writing. So you know, it's uh, but those are they they just kind of write, do like okay, these are six shows coming up in the next couple of months that you might want to. And I'm super grateful when something Constellation is right. mentioned, but you know the 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 depth of the New York Times thing and it was it I mean, was it was
0: yeah way more than I expected. Yeah, it was really. Me too. <laughs>
1: I was thrilled. So, you know, and then I was like, initially like, oh, it might just be online. I'm like, that's fine. But then to have it actually be in paper and the print paper too was, yeah, it was, it was really made me feel pretty good.
0: I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you excited about for the future?
1: Mm, well, for we're going to try you- to do the we're going to do the festival again. I want to ramp it up a bit more. Definitely. It kind of came together and fits and starts this past year. So I'd like to be a little more sustained and working on it. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's my vision. Most of the time is like a week ahead, you know, like the treadmill. So it's, there's stuff I'm excited about, I think for sure. But, um, I never. I don't have a list in my head. If I was at my computer, I could look up and tell you like, okay, this is coming up. Or um, there's always shows that I'm trying to think of something that uh, that I have coming up, but I can't really. You know, I'm. I'm. A, it's. I want to get better with partnerships. Like I have um, Experimental Sound Studio has been really great to work with. Um, like, and we have a concert. That we're doing to get it's a, a, a constellation but it's co-presented by ess and it's uh, malcolm goldstein who's like you know old school experimental new music violinist He's like 80 so i'm excited for that um i'm excited for leslie flanagan i mean that's kind of like on the periphery of what i do in a way it's almost kind of pop experimental and I have a different, this woman, Natalie Shami, who's in a group called Goodwill Smith, but she has a solo project called Tal Sounds that's going to open. So it's kind right, of, right. you know, I like, it's one thing I don't do as much of that I'd like to do more of is like combining audiences, like thro- showing people I think that's hey, great. you can, I mean, like when we did that open house, I had Dal Niente with this synthesized, like analog synth improvising thing, kind of noise. And, you know, I'm sure some people were offended or bored by the other. Thing that wasn't in their wheelhouse but then there were also people that were like wow that was kind of cool like I knew some people that would be into the more experimental stuff there were some of the pieces like that Dal Niente played like maybe Stefan Prinz or mm-hmm. or um you know I don't remember what else was was on that program that was I remember the, the is that, am, I, am I saying his name I, right he's the guy he's a Belgian composer and I've he's actually going to be in Chicago in April
0: I can't. I can just remember. There's Jesse was playing some electric guitar. Yeah, Mabel this was, was a piece of Mabel did. The crazy. Yeah, with, uh, with the keyboard. Yeah. Right, 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 right.
1: This guy's really great. I think he was at Harvard. Is it? Was that where Shia? Um, Hi, turned one? Yeah, yeah. He she's was like with she. He was under her. I think he's back in Belgium. But um, you know that that was really cool. I saw people like you know hearing music they would have never heard otherwise, and I love when that happens. So. Um, you know, it's it's kind of hard sometimes to get the artist to go for it because it's like, especially in new music, it's like this is my big concert, this is my right. big night, and I get it. I mean, it's not like, but I think don't you want to play for more people? You know, maybe play a few pe- less pieces. I'd, yeah, and, it seems so know. great. So, I mean, I'd like to keep doing that, especially with more kind of opposing artists.
0: Style. I need to do a um, double bill with Tim Daisy. Yeah, our, our wives work together. There you go. <laughs> Doctors, this is the thing, man.
1: I'm convinced. Like the the real future of experimental music is the wives. <laughs> <It's>, that's a <laughs> or like professional be wives, because you know Tim Daisy, you Ken Vandermark, you're all married to medical doctors. You know, it's like that's in in someone's you know everyone needs a true. patron.
0: <laughs> yeah, as I say, it it helps. Uh, it helps the slow months.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm married to a doctor too, but it's uh, a different kind. Yeah.
0: So I'm a doctor. You are. I'm just the dumbest kind of doctor.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, there's, there's probably, there could be a good competition for the dumbest kind of doctor out there. Right. I don't know if there's a clear winner, but there's, there's a
0: lot. I'm on, I'm at least, I'll at least get to the semifinals. Okay. okay.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm not even a doctor and I'm pretty dumb too. So um, (laughs) yeah.
0: Uh, all right. Well, I guess this is thank you. But um, before we're done, do you care to weigh in on the best water ice or cheese uh, steak in the city of Philadelphia? Well, I
1: I kind of like lost interest in cheese steaks. They were supplanted by the roast pork sandwich. I don't know if you've indulged in a roast pork sandwich. Okay, I have not. Um, why I you say you're bringing, bringing the truth. Yeah, this is. I mean, yeah, like the the kind of cliched. Famous Philly cheesesteak, Gino's, and what's the other one? Uh, they're both in the Italian market across the street from each other, and every you know presidential contender has to go
0: there. I, like I was at Ishka Bibble's on South Street.
1: Oh, wow. You know, Ishka Bibble, my dad used to give me grief when I had a certain haircut, because Ishka Bibble was a member of the K. Kaiser band, and he was like kind of this, I think he played trumpet maybe, Okay. and he had a really dumb haircut, and that, he would say, you look like Ishka Bibble. You know, that, <laughs> that's, that's, I've never been to Ishka Bibble's. But roast pork, there's the two places there's in the uh, Reading Terminal Market. Have you ever okay. gone there? Uh,
0: That's,
1: it was the old train station. Like It's kind of like the public market in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. All independent. They don't allow any chains in there. It's it's really great. So there's a place called Denix in there, Tony Denick's. Their specialties are roast beef sandwich and roast pork sandwich. The roast pork, it's, a, it's kind of a wet roast pork. It's thinly sliced roast pork and this kind of juice and they put it on bread, and the way to get it is with sharp provolone and then uh, broccoli rob. Broccoli rob is like – it's everywhere in Philadelphia. In Chicago, it's kind of like some kind of weird exotic grain. Right. It's yeah. really depressing out here on that count. Um, that's a good one. The other one is – actually, the the Denix is a kind of drier roast pork sandwich. The wet one is a place called John's Roast Pork, which is down by the Naval Yard. It's kind of more out of the way, but uh-huh. they're both – Excellent sandwiches, very different. Water ice, I you know, I, I we always call it. You know, when you grow up, you say water ice. Water ice. I didn't want to. But I guess it's you have to say it's Italian water ice because water ice is like that's a glass of
0: water with ice in it. I think water ice. Sure, right? but I, th- I think your town.
1: We know what water ice, is. so I, I don't. There's a place I don't even know the name of it. Um, that's like on uh, probably s- second or third and. I mean it's in the South Philly somewhere. I don't know what it's called, but that's really good. There was also like a weird thing that I discovered. My sister lives in South Philadelphia near the, the stadiums. She refers to it the neighborhood as the butt of <laughs> Philadelphia because it's like the southernmost part and it's as you my my wife went to school in Boston and she said it's in so you'll you you did you, you're teaching there, but did you ever didn't you live in You went to Dartmouth. So you were I,
0: well, I taught at Dartmouth. Okay. I, I was, right, you
1: taught there, but like Southies, you know about Southies, right? Uh-huh. That's what this is like of Philadelphia. It's like, right. like kind of scary. Yeah, I've like, been, I used
0: to go to the vet in
1: high school. Okay, okay, so yeah. Um, but there's there's a thing called gelati, which is not gelato at all. It's it's Italian ice with soft serve vanilla ice cream on top. Oh, nice. It's kind of like, I mean, it's not as good as it might sound. but. Um, so yeah, but I, I just also remember I used to spend summers as a kid on the beach at Ocean City, New Jersey, and there was a company, and I know it's still made, It, it they would be in like paper cups, you know, uh-huh. that, that had like a rose, like maybe Rosati's, Italian oh. ice, and it was always like cherry, lemon. it was really
0: basic. Right, there's like cherry and lemon, and
1: that's yeah. basically. Yeah, and that, I mean, there's it's great, there's always, there's that place in Logan Square here, I don't know if you've ever gone there, That it has, it's uh, mostly open in the spring and summer and fall, they close in the winter. And they're, they're, it's pretty good, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not, the same. it's not Philly style, but yeah, roast pork cheesesteaks, fine. I still, I haven't had a hoagie in a long time. I actually did have a hoagie nut so long ago. I still have a soft spot for hoagies, but Philly, there's no better town for junk food for, for food that's bad for you than Philadelphia.
0: When I was in high school, I would sometimes take the train from Pittsburgh to Philly and visit my friends there. And the fir- first time I remember getting there, my friend took me to get a pretzel. Mm-hmm. and I just thought it was so special. Like, you know, you get them warm, and they're like, what, yeah. less than a dollar or something. And I saved them. I was going to bring them back to Pittsburgh. I'd confused the whole <laughs> way. They were like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I, I want to bring this home. And they're like, no, no, no. We eat those now. They're disposable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we to, we, I, when I was a kid in the Burbs, there was a pretzel factory, like, right... That was literally, like, across the field from our elementary school. So on Friday was pretzel day, and they would come mm-hmm. on these plywood like sheets of plywood just like stacked and they would be these were like you know the the a lot of people know the soft pretzels you get at a mall that are on like a not a rotisserie like a spinning kind of like yeah Auntie Anne style yeah that's not not a real phillies are much more doughy and and compressed compressed. Yeah. yeah like they and when they make them like these pretzels they were so like tightly compressed like they weren't they yeah, there's weren't not the, air in between. There's not holes. Yeah. Typically. Like they would just rip them apart. Like the pretzels were like, like they shared border edges. So there, right. when you would rip them apart, it would be the inside. It wouldn't be the brown part. It would be the white part. And they would be super doughy and gummy. <laughs> I mean, and they definitely do not hold up over you. It wouldn't, wouldn't save them, take them to Pittsburgh. Yeah. You I learned, figured, you know, I
0: learned, I figured it out. So, and then
1: you don't want to eat them very often either. I mean, I don't know. I haven't had, I, uh, yeah, I can't, it's just like a bomb, you years. know, it's like a gut bomb. So, yeah, they're kind of like the, have you ever been to Istanbul? Uh-huh. Those, the simit things that they sell everywhere. Like they're like, they're these, they look like pretzels almost. They're seeded and yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just like, that's the snack everyone eats. I mean, I'm sure that's much older than soft pretzels in, in, in the course of civilization. But I always think of soft pretzels as Philly's version of simit. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. It might be chimit, it might be one of those. Sees with the little squiggles on yeah, it. Yeah, uh,
0: I'm, I'm it. not going to weigh in because I will only get it wrong. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I should stop. So I'm <laughs> only,
1: <laughs> only this far behind.
0: All right. Thanks, Doug.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for coming over. Anytime.